welcome to the CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We are recording live from Reserva Cigar Lounge here in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, the Smoke Master General, Mr. Trey Devin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. I like that you're all in on the Smoke Master General. I almost forgot it this week. This the, it's the different location that... So, before we get into cigars, I do have to ask something. Do you know anything about how Waze operates? To a certain extent, yeah. Why? I need it's, all user, it's all user-supported. Um, well, I need you to look at mine, because apparently I'm set to try to evade a posse mode, because I'm going through the, the furthest, back roadiest way. From your house to here, I've seen parts of Nashville I didn't know existed. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that I took the long way around. So, actually, you didn't. Um, it is by default set to do shortest distance rather than shortest time, or no, it's shortest time rather than shortest distance. And um, because of the time of day and the part of Nashville we're in, it was getting you around traffic. What about when she said, "Go through this stream to lose the dogs"? Was that <laughs> <laughs> You've got a setting. I, I wish I had. Now that I've got the off-road tires on my car, I wish I had that setting. Well, I'm just wondering. Stay off the paved roads. Yeah. I think I'm in Dukes of Hazard mode. I'm just waiting for Waylon Jennings to come out and start telling me how to get places. <laughs> I don't know what. Because I've, I've been busy all day going places, doing things. A, a rare day for me, completely out of the office, just running, doing a lot of real estate stuff. And doing that... I ended, I ended up having to rely heavily on my GPS and thinking to myself, how did we get anywhere before GPS? You know, I'm, I'm good with a map. I, I can read a map. And even I don't even know how... I mean, picking a new restaurant. And even in this city where I've lived most of my adult life, I have a really hard time thinking through like where I would go if it weren't for GPS. Yeah, it's just amazing to me that, that GPS works. We should all be grateful that oh, we have so the grateful. GPS. And the fact that it's tied to my phone so I get map updates on the regular. Do you remember the old days with like Tom, Tom and Garmin where you required a map update like oh, every yeah. year but no one ever did it so you'd end up driving through a lake or something? Yeah, roads that no longer existed. Yeah. Goat trails in the Andes. And I, which I'm sure I went across to get here <laughs> from your place. It's a roundabout way to go to go through uh, Venezuela go, and yeah. then back through Belmede. And all. But anyway, so let's talk about our cigar. All right. You said there's a r- story behind the reason we're both smoking the same cigar. But so I, I have known about and um, kind of followed the Crux Cigar Guys for a long time. Um, they were making a big splash in Texas when I was repping out that way, but I've actually never had one, and um, I, I think it's a great disservice to them that I haven't. And so today up here at Reserva, this is something that they got in recently. I'm on a clean palate. I've never had one before. It seemed like the perfect stick for the occasion. So it is blended by AJ, and it's a Mexican San Andreas wrapper. So. I mean, at this point, oh, it's the Epicure Maduro is which crux this is. It's got a can't-beat recipe just on the face of it. Well, so I've smoked the bull and the bear, and I really like the bull and the bear. And I was in there. I seen you picked your cigar out first, and I seen you had picked the Epicure Maduro. And I went in there, and they had the Guild, and they had the Epicure and the regular, and I'm like, okay, I could smoke this one. But the one I really want is the Epicure Maduro. 
And also, I decided to throw convention to the wind and just smoke the same cigar as what you decided to smoke. And all. it's kind of, it's one of, the, it's our motto, smoke whatever cigar you want. <laughs> the best cigar is the cigar you want that day, and that that's the cigar I wanted today. Yeah. No. Now, were you already kind of set on Crux before? Yeah. Yeah. I decided I wanted a Crux before we started the show, and all, and I just didn't know which one I wanted to get. Okay, I'm gonna light up so you have to talk. Well, let's just jump right into our first story. Um, so, it's it's always fun, and this is something that you do really well, which is always looking for non-cigar related publications that apply to either the cigar industry or, or the show itself. And this is a, a perfect example of that where from Reason.com, this is just a regular not cigar associated, um, is picking up on the FDA. Is crisis the wrong word? I feel like it is, but I'm going to use it anyway. Boondoggle? Yeah. The quagmire? Quagmire, boondoggle, yeah. Yeah, so essentially this is a... Yeah, a non-cigar related publication that has basically picked up the story and said, yeah, premium cigars have nothing to do with other forms of tobacco and shouldn't be regulated accordingly. I just I love that the plight of the of the tobacco using man has finally made it to mainstream. Well, I'm, you know, my my thought on this has always been and it may prove to be wrong. The FDA seen a cash cow in the cigar industry and decided to try to milk it. Which, I, but I also think that's so funny, based on the fact that it's, you know, it's a spinoff from the from the tobacco and uh, from the cigarette industry. So it's not like you know we've we've said many times before on the show, you know, they wanted to go after vaping because it's of the nicotine st- stuff, but they had no money, so they had to lump premium cigars in it. They this actually. If you look at the timing and all of that stuff, it has nothing to do with it. I mean, the timing is suspicious, but it's a spinoff of cigarette regulation, not of vape regulation. So I just I find it interesting that the cigarette industry makes a whole lot more money than the cigar industry. Why would you just not just further milk the cabinet you're sitting on? Lobbyist. Cigar, cigarette industry has way better and more lobbyists than the cigar industry. And, all, and I think that, you know, cigar industry probably don't own the number of congressmen that Philip Morris owns. Oh, I guarantee it. And that's, But I guarantee you a lot more congressmen smoke cigars than smoke cigarettes. Oh, absolutely. But I, I do think that there's some of that to it and there's some elements. But I didn't want to spend a ton of time on this article. I just kind of wanted to hit that, yeah, that is the, um, the if you'll pardon the pun, the crux, hmm. is that, hey, we don't want the cigar industry lumped in with cigarettes and vape. Yeah. And I'll and to kind of further that, I have an article from the New York Times. I'm surprised that you've even got your browser set to accept a redirect to the New York Times. <coughs> I decided to cough just as I was getting ready to make my point. Well, I don't. But what happened was I actually heard this article mentioned on the radio on the way up here. And I said, oh, I need to talk about that on the podcast. Because once again, anything that's going to prove me right... I'm prone to prone to go for Jewel to pay forty million to Seattle to settle North Carolina vaping case. So, basically, this is the first settlement in a long stream of lawsuits against Jewel and others. Um, 
they're brought, of these lawsuits brought by states and localities claiming e-cigarette companies fueled widespread nicotine addiction among the young people. Mm-hmm. And what have I been saying? That vape makes makes nicotine palatable to kids. Right. It, because all the fruity pebbles and the cinnamon toast crunch and all of those flavors that they add to it. Right. Because it's, it, does, it doesn't taste like a cigar. It doesn't taste like a cigarette. It tastes like, you know, groovy grape or whatever happens to be there. And I think that's the first run. This is the first run of many of these lawsuits. I'm really surprised that Jewel settled this. I I am, too, because if you think about it from a legal standpoint, and neither one of us are lawyers, so we really can't speak with too much authority, but if... I feel like the state because it's it's the state of North Carolina versus Jewel. So I feel like the state has the responsibility. I mean, because I can tell you that I'm targeting. Hang on, let me roll back. I feel like the state has the responsibility to prove that they were intentionally targeting minors. Right. You know, if if I target something at 20 year olds that I think 20-year-olds are going to think is cool. Well, 16-year-olds are going to think it's cool because 20-year-olds think it's cool. So I'm not necessarily targeting 16-year-olds. It just so happens that that bucket is contains a lot of, you know. So I'm surprised they settled this too because I really, as much as I agree, obviously, you know, vaping does make underage nicotine use very, very attractive. I don't think it was intentional. And I don't know how you prove that they, unless there's an email from a Juul executive saying, if we get them early, we'll have them for life. I don't know. I believe, I firmly believe that that is what went on, that they said, okay, we, we're going to broaden our audience. And they had to know kids were going to go for the Fruity Pebbles flavor. Although, that being said, Juul specifically, did uh, as I were, as I understand it, didn't really go all in on the super fruity flavors and so like the vape shops and things did. Yeah, and you know, and there's a lot of lot of talk in the vape business about okay, is you know the the made in China knockoff vapes that come have more chemicals than the Juul or the whatever the other major brand is or anything like that. But it comes back to vape. It's not a good idea. No, <laughs> it's just not a good idea. And it's it's not a good idea if you're a cigar smoker. It's not a good idea, under, you know. And hey, do you know anybody who has quit smoking using a vape pen I do. and stayed quit? I do actually. See, I could I couldn't tell you one. I mean, I don't. It, yeah, it's that was how they were originally branded, and I think if they had stayed away from all of the flavors that attract new users, it probably would have been effective. Well, and this is big vape. Just like big tobacco, but I don't consider cigars part of big tobacco. No, I don't either. I feel like they should have made the vapes all taste like the northbound end of a southbound skunk. Sure. Or three-day-old dog turds. Well, if they were really trying to get rid, get people to quit smoking, to use it as a smoking cessation aid, then that should have been what it tasted yeah. like. You know, I don't. I've never tasted nicotine gum. Have you ever had nicotine gum? Oh, it's dreadful. See, to me, that makes sense. Yeah. Because what you're trying to overcome, you know, nicotine is an addictive chemical, yes. But study after study has proven that the addictive component or the the primary addictive component to cigarettes is the behavior. 
it's the oral fetish. It's the it's the hand. It's the behavioral aspects of it that are the hardest to overcome. So yeah, make me smoke something that's not enjoyable. It's just satisfying a habit, and eventually it'll break that habit. Yeah, it's it's my my theory that if I ever wanted to quit cigars, I would just start smoking a pipe. Because at some point, the amount of headache in putting a pipe together would would make it not worth my wild. Yeah, see, for me, it would be like smoking acids. Yeah. That, that would do it for me. Yeah, is it, you know, if, if you're going to do it, do it that way. But it's interesting that they settled this lawsuit, if for no other reason than the way this sets up so many more a precedent so many more lawsuits to follow that's that's what is so tricky about any legal situation like this which is it's it's very rarely um important what the outcome of one particular lawsuit is except when it's setting a precedent for it because now others will absolutely follow because if it's been ruled this way once it'll be ruled that way again well, and cigars are such cigar shops are such a groundswell business of a couple of buddies getting together and saying, "Hey, let's open a cigar shop. Let's open a cigar bar where we can all hang out, where we can have fun and enjoy ourselves." That was a bit forced. You think it was? I think it was. Think I'm, maybe I'm trying too hard. Maybe that's just because I knew what was coming up next. I think so. Okay. I think if you hadn't appointed it out, our listeners would have never known. I bet if they just thought Shane was a genius or confirmed that Shane was a genius. No, I don't think so. I think they still would have. I think they still would have picked up on it. From the Daily Item, three business partners create mobile cigar lounge, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and this is this is interesting to me. And I'll, you know, we had the article about the cigar trolley a couple of weeks ago, and we actually know the guy that's the. Right. The head of the cigar trolley business. I actually seen a trolley on Facebook the other day and had for that sale? thought. Yeah. Oh. For sale. And I had that same thought of, hey, that, <laughs> you know. So basically, this is from the Central Susquehanna Valley. Where is the Central Susquehanna? PA. Oh, is it Central Pennsylvania? Yeah, Central Pennsylvania. Uh, see, I'm, I'm always amazed that you know where Susquehanna is. <laughs> it's on their website. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. These three guys got together, and they got just a trailer. It's just a 24-foot trailer. It's not a trolley. It's not a school bus. It's not a, it's not a, you know, a primo motorhome. It's not a super high-end deal. And they just fixed it up really nice. I think that was their first good move. The first thing they did right was, let's not make it too fancy. Let's not over overshoot ourselves here. Yeah, what's it looks like maybe a 25-foot, 30-foot trailer. Yeah, it's it's a twenty four foot by eight foot, eight and a half foot wide. It'll accommodate fifteen people, and then they can set out things there. But they're going to take their their cigar shop on the road, their mobile cigar shop, the equivalent of a cigar food truck. Mm-hmm. I think so. I brought this article up because I want to talk about the mobile cigar lounge ideal. You know, I had this ideal a long time ago. As did I. Yeah, and discussed it and all. And my conclusion was, how are you going to go from municipality to municipality? successfully with tobacco laws being what they are and especially you know heaven forbid you want to sell them a beer yeah and but but what makes this country great is all of our freedoms right shane that's right (laughs) unless you want to open a mobile cigar shop because that that is the biggest headache is the logistics i mean obviously you've got the concern over keeping humidity in the cigars in something like uh you know anybody who's left their travel humidor in their car for a couple of nights during the summer or the winter knows exactly what I'm talking about there. There are some, there are definitely some challenges with this. I think the idea itself is, is great. 
I think it's just would be such a headache to execute that I would have a really hard time pulling the trigger. Is this a situation where guys just say, "Okay, I'm going to do it," and I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission? No. Wait I, till wait till they shut me down before I start I, really I, futzing around with the. I don't think so. For the reason that the penalties they impose on you when you take that approach are so draconian that it didn't matter how successful you were in the two months you were open before you got shut down. It would crush you and your family and your children's children. Like they really set up those penalties to be brutal. Well, you know, the, just the stepping away from that part of it, just the mobile cigar lounge makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. golf tournaments, great place to set up. And all at events where you can, you know, where you can conceivably be outside to oh, smoke. Estate auctions. Oh yeah, that would be brilliant. Yeah, just there's a lot of market out there for mobile cigar lounge. Say, okay, we're going to pull up and start selling cigars here on next day. Yeah, and all and cigars are such a communal thing. But I don't know if this is the problem. Is a cigar shop needs regulars, right? You know, we're sitting here in the reserva right now, and Ben knows the name of everybody that comes in here. Uh huh. They come in here and he's hey, and he knows pretty close to what they smoke. He knows what they like. He keeps a well manicured humidor, tailored more so than any shop we go to to the to the desires of his customers. Right. You know the worst thing a cigar store owner does is tailors the humidor to his palate. Right. You've yeah, got to and listen. They, they do a great job of that here. It, but yeah, if you're catering to a different set of customers every weekend, how do you curate your humidor? Obviously. You stay away from the boutiques. You have to do mostly Macanudo, Rocky, you know, the things that people are going to ask for, Perdomo. But also, I think your regulars become, rather than your customers, they became your they become your bookers. I think the only way for this to work is you just about have to have a brick and mortar somewhere. Either that, well, yeah, or you have to have a really good relationship with a couple of golf course owners in the area. So, yeah. Bellmead Country Club brings you out twice a month. And you know what, you know, so you know what the regulars on those days tend to smoke. And so you can kind of do that. You've got, I I do think you need a brick and mortar just to feed the humidor because there's no way to keep enough stock, enough varied stock in the trailer, rotated, you know, back stock, like all the things that you need to be successful. I don't think there's a way unless you have a brick and mortar to funnel it from. Yeah, well, and also, you know, just getting Perdomo in a shop is such an investment. You know, I've I've been the opportunity lately to do a lot more research into cigar shops, and that's one of the big hampering marks is people like Perdomo, people like Fuente, they want you to carry a certain number of facings, a certain number of sizes, or you don't get their cigars. Right. You can't just call and say, hey, I need three boxes of the Sun Grown in 660. Yeah. You know where I think this concept could do really well? Um, or, or Now, let me back up from that. I'm not going to say it that way. What, this, what I think this concept is missing. So in all of these we've ever talked about, the trolley, it accommodates about 10 people. This accommodates about 12 people. This, you know, they, they are, and they're always set up like couches. So it doesn't really accommodate as many people as it accommodates because you and I are not going to snuggle up together on one couch. Well, not, not often. Not if, not if we can help it. So not while your wife's in town. There are... There are a couple of coffee shops in Central Park in New York that are basically shipping containers. 
And so when they close it up, it looks like there's a shipping container sitting there in the middle of the park. It's so attractive. I mean, sure. not an eyesore at all. But when they're open, the front of the entire building becomes a platform and a patio, and it's completely open. I think that's what you need to do here. You need a way to bring the seating area outside so that you're not hampered by just what's available inside as a seating area. Well, so if I was going to run one of these, it would be I would have the trailer, sort of like what they've got, mm-hmm. and I would have some very attractive bartenders there selling cigars to guys, and I would have a traffic flow. Nobody would be sitting into the trailer smoking. You'd come in one end and out the other. Right. Pure traffic flow. I'd set it up where they come through. They come out with cigars, and then I've got my furniture out there, my nice chairs and everything that they could set in front of the trailer and smoke some cigars. And it allows you to accommodate more people because then all you do, you've got a bartender set up, or you've got a bar set up in one area, you've got your humidor in the other, you've got a way for people to move through, and then you just take all of the outdoor furniture and just pile it in there when you're going to the next place. So you can carry a lot more chairs because they don't have to be useful where, they, where they're transported. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the way you kind of have to set one of these up. So let's talk about the crux. I'm really enjoying it. I like it. I like this. The San Andreas wrapper is well-balanced. Yeah. You can tell this cigar is made by somebody that knows what they're doing, and I didn't get that kick-you-in-the-teeth AJ out of this. I kind of got No. In fact, if I didn't know this was an AJ cigar, I might not have guessed it. Yeah. And that's unusual. Yeah. pretty. It's pretty mellow for an AJ. Still a lot of complexity, a lot of strength. It's just not as... As prominent as you would think something made by AJ would be, it doesn't on your have that spice. Yeah, it's and it's 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 funny too because I've no you know we, we've talked about it on the show before, but I had COVID back in July uh, January, and I'm still my, there are still certain flavors that don't smell or taste right to me, and there's something in this that I, I get the impression that if I had smoked this cigar before COVID, that it would have tasted completely different. I don't know that it would have changed. I mean, because I still like it, because it, it, it didn't make things that I used to like taste bad necessarily. It's just changed the way. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. You know, I had COVID, but I didn't lose my sense of taste or smell or nothing mm. at all. I had, by all accounts, a mild, very mild reaction to COVID. Right. It was not a big deal in my life. Yeah, you were like me. The shot was worse than actual COVID. Oh, yeah. My second shot just laid me out. Yeah. And all, if I, if I knew that, but we won't get into the politics of why I took the shot <laughs> and all. But anyway, well, let's step away for a break. When we come back, we got a great article about New Agonorsa Leave and a cigar company changing their name, sort of. <laughs> all right, we'll be back with that and more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from Trey, who, rather than making a joke about him, I'm going to enrich his life today. Do you know that if you were a scorpion, a lobster would look like a mermaid? <laughs> what? If you were a scorpion, a lobster would look like a mermaid. It proves how much life is about perspective. Uh, <laughs> if you... 
If you say so, I don't have a clue what that means. Well, you think about it, a scorpion. He's got the pinchers. He's got, and instead of the tail, that they got the swimming thing on the back. So if you're a scorpion and you tag along on some cowboy's boots in Arizona, and you've seen the lobster tank at Kroger. You'd say, wow, look at all those mermaids. Ain't that amazing? <laughs> you think there'd be entire religions <laughs> yeah. revolving around lobsters. Yeah, he's like, well, I was going to kill this guy in the cereal aisle, but i, I got to get back out and tell the guys about this. <laughs> and, uh, so it just proves that these are the things I think about. Uh, to, to rent space in that brain of yours, I swear. <laughs> my, my wife does, does not envy Nobody should envy my wife some of the thoughts she has to deal with. Oh, I can only imagine. On a near daily basis. I, especially because because I know we only get the good stuff. You know, you curate the hypotheticals and the things that you bring to the cigar shop and bring to this podcast. Your wife has to hear all of it. Oh, yeah. She's my test audience. Yeah, I I feel so. I hope, I hope you've got a box of goldies for her. I, I kind of like when she gives me the groan. That means I'm on to something. Right. <laughs> and I'll, if she that, says, oh, that's, that's a good point, that's I chuck it. That's a wife trick. That, they all do that. It's like, uh, okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. Is it <laughs> You're grown? completely annoyed by my presence at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of completely annoyed... This completely annoys you? This annoys me. And also, many Irarte Enterprises, the Opus X Society launch. So they're selling Opus swag. Right. Is what it comes down to. And and don't get me wrong, this is some beautiful stuff. Your issue is with the quantity? No, my issue is when you get... That piece of swag, that golden idol piece of cigar swag. You know, I, I've been I've been so happy that Drew Estate has come out with the challenge coin concept. Have they? Oh yeah, yeah. I've got Florida Sun Grown. I've got a, Naga- a oh. um, Nortano one. I've got an Undercrown Ten one. I gotta go to more events. Well, because when you pull that out and somebody says, "Oh wow, where'd you get that?" I got that for at the event. Yeah, you know that was that was a, a special thing. Is there going to be a DE twenty five coin? I'm sure. Yeah, but that that becomes my card marker when I play poker, right? And I, which is the perfect thing to use a challenge coin for if you don't happen to be in the military. Exactly. And, and I don't think you'll get a whole lot of run off of a Drew Estate challenge coin in the military anyway. Probably, probably not going to get many beers off of that one. No, <laughs> but this makes it too attainable. See, I disagree because of price. Well, but somebody with a fat wallet that wants to buy stuff like this, goodness knows we don't need more overpriced cigar gifts in the industry. No, we don't. But one of the things I really like about this is the fact that there are three different sort of themes. So you pretty much decide which color scheme that that speaks to you, and you you know the attempt to collect it all within you know within that sort of theme. I like that. Um, I don't have, I don't think all accessories and all branded accessories in particular need to be exclusive. You know, these will be exclusive in as much as the Opus are exclusive, or at least they kind of used to be. I I think this is great. In fact, the, the one on the bottom left, the blue, red, and white, mm-hmm. I think is just, it's got kind of a French Riviera kind of vibe to me is kind of what I'm getting off of. And I think it's gorgeous, and I would love to have any one of those pieces. Well, so take the lighters. 
they look nice, but is that really a good cigar lighter? It doesn't look like a good lighter. I'll give no. you that. But the cutter is a really good li- a really good cutter. It's a good-looking cutter. And, of course, ashtrays are great, but ashtrays have a limited shelf life. True. And I also find it interesting that they went with a hexagonal shape. Never mind. I see exactly why they did that now. But I don't know. I don't like the accessibility of it. To me, it takes the specialness out if somebody can just stroke a check and buy one. I. So you know what I think would be cool? Is if they only allowed you, as a shop owner, because I'm assuming these are going to hit brick-and-mortar retail stores, you can only bring in one piece from each um, from each collection. Right. So if you get the are they are the collections named? I'm sure they are. Yeah, but Heming, I didn't. Hemingway Grand Reserve and uh, the other one. So if you bring in the Grand Reserve humidor, you can't bring the other two humidors in, but you can only bring you know. You can only bring the ashtray from one of the other two, or you can only bring the cutter from the other. So it kind of forces you to, if you do want to collect all in the series, it forces you to kind of go hunting for it. I think that would be cool. Yeah, there's the treasure hunt aspect of it, but I don't know. I'm just not that um, I'm not that keen on it. It's, to me, I, I just don't like the concept behind it. I like the Drew Estate stuff. You know, that, that when we go to DE25, we'll have Drew Estate 25 branded stuff. Right. That you, that just know when somebody sees you with that, say, "Oh, you went to Drew Estate 25." Right. I really like that aspect of it, and this kind of to me undermines that particular aspect of it. See, the the thing that I don't like about this is the leather duffel bag. Hey, you know, this is like, do you do you remember growing up? You know, in fifth grade, and the kids whose parents were absolute chain smokers coming to school with the Marlboro backpacks. Oh, yeah. That's what this screams to me. This is not... I mean, it's a luxury bag. It's a six hundred, no, $875 bag. Genuine leather, high quality, but it's got... It's stamped with the Opus logo, and it's... Yeah, you paid a lot of money for it, but you're still... It's still a tobacco company branded duffel bag. Like, it just... We it's, don't need that. It's kind of like the Crown Royal bag. Yeah. You know, as a kid, somebody would have their marbles Ooh, in a Crown yeah. Royal bag, or they'd have their whatever they were carrying yeah. in a Crown Royal bag. It's like, eh. And know. as a kid, you think, oh, that's cool. As an adult, you go, your parents have problems. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, 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 there's a fight at home over who, ha- who gets the bag at the end of the Crown Royal <laughs> bottle. So that's, that, you know, if, if we're going to brand things with if if and this flies in the face of what we were just talking about with the Drew Estate thing because I have backpacks and I have stuff like but let's keep it reasonably cigar related if we're going to throw our branding and our logo all over it and saying saying that my wife got a Norteño bag that she dearly loves at the last DE event and also maybe it's not they're not the bag's not necessarily for the the more testosterone inspired aspects of the I won't go that far. I just feel like, and maybe it, I, th- I think what it is, because, you know, so in the Drew Estate tens, you know, that they've been doing, a couple, the, the one they did last year that had the knife and had the the reversible back, you know, the right, packable the backpack. Away backpack. I use that backpack all the time. Mm-hmm. So, but it was free and I use it for very specific going to the river, things like sure. that. This is... 
really expensive, even yeah. by leather duffel bag. So you're paying for the this is this is for the guy that calls himself an aficionado. I think that's what I don't like about it. Well, yeah, I think it kind of in, encourages that kind. There's that a certain amount of, of pomposity associated with this to me. I think that's what I'm reacting to. So I've won you over. It's a bad idea. The bag is. The rest of it I love. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll take my victories where I can get them. There you go. Speaking of bad ideals. Yeah. PDR changes the company name to PDR. <laughs> I, I, I get what they're attempting to do, but I don't understand why not just release a new line? Because the thing is, all right, so they changed their name from Premier del Rio which was a region of Cuba, and they're trying to get away from the Cubanesque references, and so now it stands for Puros Dominican Republic. I'm okay with that. This is a bit like when... Do you remember back in the early 2000s, TCU in Dallas, Texas Christian University, changed its name to TCU. It no longer stood for anything because they didn't want to uphold to certain standards and they didn't want to... Da, 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 da. This kind of screams of that to me. Like, everyone calls you PDR to begin with. It doesn't, it's kind of a nothing burger. What What I don't like is that the El Criollito brand, they basically completely reblended it to get rid of the Nicaraguan tobacco and fill it with uh, Dominican tobacco to, to approach, you know, to, to reinforce the new name. Just come out with a different cigar. Well, but is this the Coke, New Coke marketing strategy? It could be. That we did New Coke, and then all of a sudden we go, you know, which was awful. Yeah. And then we went back to Coca-Cola Classic as a brand, and sales went up. Mm -hmm. And also, is that what we're, is this a Coke, New Coke type occurrence? I don't think so. I don't think they're enough of a powerhouse to pull that move off. Well, but if they re-release the PDR Nicaraguan, and say, okay, this was the original blend, that would give them a little bump. Yeah, could be. And although PDR is not a cigar that's talked about a lot. It's not. But you'd be surprised how many cigars are, you know, made in the PDR factory or or, or are, are touched by PDR. Yeah. There's, it's, it's a legendary brand. Yeah. And also, let's talk about one new cigar. All right. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, I knew I was going to have a chaotic day today. And oh, some, you're jumping right to that? No. Okay. Some days, some days, content is easier to come by for the cigar cast than others. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are, less than a week from the show. Right. So of course, there's a million cigars. Yeah. But we don't. I don't want the cigar cast to be about that. I don't want to just especially if we've not smoked them, right? Especially if oh, this is going to be released at the show is all we can say about it. You don't want to overload the show with that sort of thing, right? And I'll. But we tend to only talk about stuff that we're excited about or confuses us. Yeah. So this, but this excites me. Aganorsa Leaf adds new size to the Supreme Leaf and Anniversario Maduro brands. The Supreme Leaf was excellent. Excellent cigar. I. Didn't have any issue with the sizes it was offered in, though. Well, at first it was only offered in a Robusto in 2019, and then in 21 they came out with the Corona Gordo. And now they're introducing a 6x54 Torpedo. Now they're not changing the blend, they're just changing the Vitola. Right. Um, they're also I'll, adding a short Churchill as well. Yeah, I'll smoke it. Absolutely. 
and uh, I don't like the limited run part of it. I think this should they should pick a size, pick a Toro, and say this is going to be a regular production. Yeah. Because that's the most frustrating thing about it is you smoke a couple, and then all of a sudden you can't get them nowhere anymore. Right. And uh, But they're making 1,000 boxes. Um, only, well, 20, excuse me, 2,500 boxes of 10. Right. Are all that's being released. But it's a great cigar. It really is. And I think, you know, the issue with Aganorsa is not to do with the quality of their cigars. It is to do with the fact that they're... They make such a, I mean, they make a lot of cigars for other people. But then the cigars they do release under their own name, they they tend to attract kind of a cult following. Only right. people who know about Aganorsa smoke Aganorsa. No, very few people walk by it and pick it up without right. knowing anything else. And so what happens is you get it in a shop, it flies off the shelf, maybe. Or it's reliant on having somebody that comes into your shop knowing about the cigar and buying it. And so once it gets cleared out, most shop owners aren't going to bring it back. Right. And so it, it becomes really difficult. It's a fantastic cigar. And at one point, just about every cigar shop in this town carried it. Now you have a hard time finding it. Yeah, at one point it was easy to get. Now it's you yeah. can't find it. Yeah. And that, that just aggravates me because I love that cigar. Exactly. And but like, I can't smoke all of them and in every shop to keep them around. Right, and I can't lay back, you know, six boxes of it and predict how long it's going to take me to smoke them. Exactly. You know, we were discussing that before the show. You know, is it better to have a good box of Padrones or is it better to have two boxes of Charter Oaks? Right. And uh, if you've got, you know, the guilt-free Padrones a great thing that somebody gave to you. Right. But the two boxes of Charter Oaks is going to keep you in cigars for a couple of months. A couple of weeks. A couple of weeks, a couple of months, either one. <laughs> oh, what oh, is wow. this? Very oh, nice. This, this is the greatest thing in the world about being in a cigar shop. Somebody brought us a cigar. This is amazing. That's the Alma Fuerte. Oh, oh wow. Goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Hey, it's my pleasure. That's I bought them today. And, um, ben just told me about them, so... This is uh, what this place is all about. Oh, well, that's that's awesome. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. And uh, that's that's just the greatest. Ain't the that's, cigar guys the greatest guys yeah. in the world? Yeah. <laughs> cigar guys are just the greatest guys in the world. They We're sitting here doing a are. podcast, and he brings us what is an amazing cigar, the Placencia Alma Fuerte. And it's the Solomon, which I've been wanting to get my hands on. That's just that's incredible uh, bit of generosity right there. That's. That, that's Reserva. Everybody come to Reserva and buy some cigars. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, and that is, that is funny because there are some shops you kind of have to hit when you come to town. Mm-hmm. And Reserva definitely falls firmly into that category. Oh, without a doubt. You know, I, it, it's funny to me because everyone said that when Big Boy Spring Hill opened that they were expecting never to see you at Crown anymore. And since they've come back open here, it's really been me that has kind of forgotten about Crown. Like, I don't go down there except to record this show, and then on our Friday afternoons. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much here these days. Yeah, it's it's interesting, because you always have the, the geographical constraints. Right. You know, okay, I can go there in 10 minutes, or I can be at Crown in 22. Mm. And, and I've got it narrowed down. I'm exactly 12 minutes from my house to Big Boys in Spring Hill, and I'm 22 minutes to Crown. 
So over the span, that's only 20 minutes there and back. Right. Difference in the two. Right. And and in this town, that's nothing. But it does kind of, you have that that vibe. Right. And also, yeah, it's 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 nice when that happens. But See, I've got the opposite problem, which is that I am 20 minutes from, I'm at, every cigar shop within driving distance of me is all within five or 10 minutes of, I'm, I'm, 20 minutes, I'm, I'm like 18 minutes to here, I'm 30 minutes to Crown, I'm 22 minutes to Smoker's Abbey. Like, I'm going to have to drive wherever I go. Well, and it's funny because so many of my real estate customers are coming from the cigar shops. Right. From guys that know me at the cigar shops and that say, hey, we've, um, we're looking for a house, we know you sell houses and all that stuff. And the, um, it makes it easier on me. To, to lead gin, as the the Keller Williams appropriate term would be, right. lead gin. It makes it easier on me to lead gin <laughs> for all of those things. But you do kind of have to shop for houses. Okay, my, you know, I can't tell you how many people have told me, all right, I need a house within 15 minutes of crown. Okay, right. what's your price point? You're not going to get a house within 15 minutes <laughs> yeah, of crown. Exactly. <laughs> and also, yeah, be willing to change it. See, I'm moving towards an area where I'm, you know, spitting distance from big boys. And I'm, I'm happy with that. I'll change my shop if it means I'm going to, you know, still be able to support a friend of the show, but also not have to be. You know, any further away from a cigar shop I am currently. Yeah, and the cigar community is such a tight-knit community. It's hard to leave a shop. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, you know, there's still a lot of Fridays that I'll say, okay, I'm going to go to Crown because the Brain Trust is meeting. Exactly. And all, and we want to get together and have the Brain Trust, and that's been going on for years, and we're not going to change that. That's, you know, Friday afternoons, I usually keep my meetings light, and I use it as an opportunity to work on things that I'm trying to finish up, but I usually don't work super hard on Friday afternoons. Well, who does? And if it weren't for the established, you know, practice of watching classic mu- music videos with the three of us sitting at the bar and the brain trust meeting sort of after hours, I would be here. You know, it, it goes back to that same thing. But, but yeah, it's that camaraderie. It's that group of people. It's that ritualistic piece. Yeah, it's it's different. So I'm not gonna I'm not since you already made fun of my first segue, I'm not gonna try to segue into our topic. I'm just gonna blatantly come out and say it. All right. I've been pondering chaos lately. Um, so to first to define chaos. Chaos is conflict or challenges that arise in your life that are out of your control. And I'll, and it seems and seemingly out of nowhere. I think that's an important distinction as well. It is, but I have noticed that chaotic people attract chaos. Yes, that chaos begets chaos. You mm-hmm. know, people that have a very, um, you know, they've been they've been married three times and then they've done this. <laughs> Sorry, asshole. <laughs> I had to take my shot. <laughs> people, people that get offended easily, that do things like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bleep the out of this show. <laughs> but the um, chaos kind of begets chaos. You know, I had a good friend. He passed away last year. But his life was a constant maelstrom of chaos. Excellent word choice. Uh, thank you. And there's a lot, of, a lot of chaos in your life you can control. But if you can control it, is it chaos? Sure. You're, it, it depends on how when you encounter chaos... Do you wade in with both feet, you know, when you, you know... So it's, it's managed and mitigated, maybe not so much controlled. 
Well, you know, we were actually talking about it for the show. Two of my good friends had a rather heated disagreement at the cigar shop. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to step in and try to mitigate it. But I knew that just would increase the chaos. Right. That just brings it into me that, you know. That elevates. Yeah, I've never put my cape on and got out of the phone booth that I didn't get hit by a bus. Exactly. And and I just walked away. I said, okay, this is their deal. This is not my business. And there's no reason for me to make it my business. And that was extremely difficult. Oh, for sure. But there's some people that flourish in chaos. We have friends that chaos creates opportunity. Right. And they they take advantage of those opportunities very well. And, all, and then we have people that adamantly avoid chaos in all of its, its iterations. And then you have your people in the middle. So what is the balance for a person to decide how much chaos... Because without chaos, there is no opportunity. Right. As we've talked, you know, without happiness, there's no sadness, or vice versa. You know, everything in balance. Yeah, you know, um, the Sandler Institute of Sales will teach you that Sandler's a big, big organization here in Nashville that trains salespeople to find the client's pain and find out how you can solve that pain, and that's how you secure a client. Now, I don't agree with that theory. Um, I don't want to sit there and state my client's pain. I want to sit there and state, here's what I do. Does this fit into what you need? Well, you're you're kind of you're still doing the same thing, but you're just doing it in a different order. You're saying here are the here are the ways that I operate. Here are the ways that I work. And if your pain point can be solved with one of these processes, then I'm the person for you. Well, you know, last week. And all. I told you about it last week. My professionalism was really tested because I had a guy call me and basically accuse me of putting out a poor plan that wouldn't pass codes. Right. And I really wanted to give him a piece of my mind, but I said, instead, let's find out where this chaos is coming from. Turned out his boss gave him the plans and had never bothered to finish them. And also, I stepped up. I said, okay, I'll put you at the top of the list. I'll get your plans finished, and we'll get this thing back on track. Instead of telling him, hey, jackleg. Go pound salt. Go pound sand. I said, no. Let's see, let's see how I can help you. Yeah. Let's see how I can make that. And I think there's a certain amount of that that you have to do. But chaos is such a strange strange factor in life. Well, it, it finds us all. And... You know, I think, you know, it, it, it's so common to hear, you know, life is not the things that happen to you. It's your reaction to them. And I think that is, by and large, a, a true idiom. But I also think that there are some some instances where 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 you happen to be, what your station in life definitely impact it's it's like you were talking about you know some people just attract chaos sure no matter what they do they just it always find them i've got a couple of family members for whom like man it just they can't win for losing and and it's it's so funny if, if you start it if you start examining people for whom that's the case like man every time they turn around they're getting hit over the head by something else and life just keeps kicking them and you have to wonder well why is it that Things go well for other people and and not for others. And I don't think it necessarily falls into the category of winners and losers. 
And I, I think it, it has much more to do with compartmentalization, focus, and, and vision. You know, some people see chaos as opportunity. Well, and it depends also on how much, you know, chaos bothers you. So yesterday I'm walking through Kroger and the guy turns the seed display and knocks it over. And their seed packets fall all over the floor in Kroger. And all, and he just walked off. And I thought, what, what kind of a psychopath does that? So I stopped, and I picked up all the seeds, and I put them back in the place, and I put it back because I, I didn't want... One, I knew that all those seeds were now going to be stepped on by everybody that walks by. Right. And then anybody who buys those, now they're by... Yeah. Or some poor Kroger employee is going to have to do that. Of course, everybody walking by thought that I was the one that knocked them over. That's why I was well, doing were you it. dressed in khakis and a blue polo like you are today? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I was not in my real estate clothes. <laughs> You're also in the Kroger uniform. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. And all that is strange. And all, I got accused of matching my shirt to my truck earlier today. But <laughs> I that, almost accused you of that. <laughs> well, that was by a chaotic individual. But it's it's funny because you know we know people. They seem to marry into chaos. They seem to to build their life around it. Because is that the only way they can create opportunity? Have they been conditioned? I think a lot of it comes from conditioning. I think you hit a really important point. You know, um, some let, let's look at kids. You know, two kids, same parents. This goes back to how everyone's wired a little bit differently. You know, one of them is going to come out of that seeing the chaos they grew up in, and they're going to seek to avoid chaos because of how um, because of how detrimental it was to their upbringing. They they introspectively see that as a cause and actively try to avoid it going forward. Other people are going to take the Bane approach, which is, I was born in it, I was bathed in it, this is, you know... This is who I am. This is who I am. And they're going to continue to seek it out because chaos becomes their comfort zone. I could not imagine living my life that way. But no. I can recognize why some people would think that is. And, and I know, and this, and you make a very sanguine point that... It's not divided down the line between winners and losers. Because I know some very successful people in life that have great families, that have great jobs, that make tons of money, that flourish in chaos. Yeah. And one of our very good friends that's doing an amazing favor for me right now, his life... He, he lives in chaos. Absolutely. And he, he thrives in chaos. He needs it. Now, he doesn't create it much. And he doesn't attract it either, I wouldn't say. I'm, and that's why I, say, like, I think the other important distinction here is that what you and I might call chaos isn't considered chaotic to other people. Because, you know, when I think of, you know, there are some, some individuals that cannot avoid chaos. And there are other people who turn it into opportunities. And I think... I think they wouldn't see it as chaotic. So I guess the answer to the question is, you should not manufacture chaos, but you should have um, processes in your life built to handle that. Everyone is going to experience chaos, and what makes you a success or failure in that instance is your ability to manage it. You know, um, as a project manager, you know, that's a, a large, you know, component of what I do for a living is mitigate and manage chaos. You know, you've got 13 people throwing 30 things your way and you've got to step back, you know, take a picture and then move forward. You know, and, and I think that's I think that's a vital skill for anybody to have. 
Oh yeah, well, that, I just I really wanted to talk about chaos tonight because it's, it's just been on my mind lately as I've been pondering it. So we're coming to the end of the show, but I want to hit one more little piece, just a brief. You know, we we had to talk about how great a people cigar people are, and this kind of epitomizes this. This is from the Sun Coast News, the Tampa Bay newspapers, and it's called "In the Name of the Father." And in Tarpon Springs, Arnold Seferin's father, Ramon, died in 2019. And he was a longtime owner of the Seferin Seraphin de Cuba cigar shop. And he wanted to do something to honor his father. So he created a cigar in honor of his father. And is that not the coolest thing ever to do if you're on a cigar shop? It, it is. I think there is. I think there is so much power in honoring people who have gone before us. Uh, For whatever reason, that is one of those things that will always, always, always speak to me, whether it's, you know, whether it's carrying on a family name or whether it's, you know, setting up a charitable organization or, or just, you know, naming, you know, a cigar or a product or something, you know, continuing that person's legacy. I think there is so much honor and so much power in that, and it's something that really, really speaks to me. Well, and it's interesting. You know, we talk about social media and the downfalls of social media and the pitfalls involved in it, but there's also a lot of good stuff. You look at the Kickstarters that somebody starts, and it lights off like wildfire, and they end up starting a charitable foundation with the excess funds from that particular Kickstarter. Yeah, I'm I'm actually in the process of developing something along those lines right now. It's a little too early to talk about the specifics, but but absolutely there will be some some talk on the show about it in the in the coming months. But it's yeah, and, and I love those stories of. This was something that was important to them. They didn't necessarily get to fulfill this, or maybe they didn't want to see it fulfilled this way, but this it's a way to honor them. You know, it's, it's the Opus X story. You know, Carlos was still alive when Carlito said, no, I need to honor, I need to earn my family name and bring honor to my involvement in this enterprise. And I think that's incredibly powerful. And it, 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 the Opus would not be the Opus without that behind it. And good things can happen and be profitable. Yes. You know, you look at um, the mo- probably the most famous Mexican luchador in the world is Rey Mysterio Jr. Right. And he didn't start his wrestling career as Rey Mysterio Jr. He had to earn his mask from his father, Rey Mysterio. And now his son, Dominic, is working toward earning the mask to become Rey Mysterio III. Right. And, uh, and it's just, they're, they're, it's great marketing. They're great wrestlers. They're a great wrestling family. But you can be successful and honor someone. Yeah, I, th- I, I think I, people get that mixed up. They say, oh, it's just a marketing gimmick. And I don't think that's true. No, I don't. I don't think. I think you feel that way. I don't think most people do. I think most people see the good in the world before they see the conspiracy. And I'm not making a blatant. Blanket statement about your character in that I'm just saying like you do have a tendency to see the forest through the trees and I think most people will see the honor first yeah I think that's it and I think that's a big part of it and there's it's not unusual you know for a luchador to wrestle his whole career as junior right 
you know, to be junior for his whole career and to wear his father's mask and to be to be that for his whole career. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the Irwin family. You know, after Steve Irwin passed away, they've kept the refuge alive. They've kept, you know, they, they're still in the limelight somewhat. They still have TV shows. They're making money on their dad's legacy, but they're still doing a lot of good with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it should never be confused. I don't think... The fact that it's a profitable venture mitigates the value of this. You know, and if he sells a million boxes of these, it's still in honor of his father. Exactly. Yeah, I think the honor is always first. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, it's time to rank the crux. And I'll, do you want me to go first? Yeah, you want I want you first? to go first. It's a six. It's better than average. Okay, I was, I was on six. I wasn't quite sure if I was going to give it the six, but that's why I wanted you to go first. I was... It almost feels. I feel like we give a lot of sixes out, and so I was. I was. I was thinking kind of like five and three quarters, six. I mean, in that range, it's a very, very good cigar. It is. It's a very good cigar. Um, price point on it is about right for the cigar. It is. Yeah, it's at twelve. Yeah, it's. It's a. You know. One day we'll have to define what the price point of a daily smoke is, but that's so subjective depending on where you're at in life. Right. And where you are in the country. I mean, you go down to Georgia where they've got a 29% tobacco tax, and it doesn't matter what your budget is, your daily cigar budget only goes so far compared to here or even Florida, which has no tobacco tax. Right. It just it kind of varies mm-hmm. accordingly, and there's some very good cigars out there that are just, I don't smoke as often as I should because of the price point. And all, and there's some very good cigars out there that are at that low price point that a lot of people walk past. Right. Because they're like, how good can an $8 cigar be? Well, I mean, the Charter Oak is a perfect example of that. When I first started smoking that cigar, I would basically have the box to myself. And now as people have started to realize, wait, you can get a darn good cigar at six and a half bucks. Now I have to fight wait lists for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. But this is definitely a solid six. It's probably a little above the daily smoke for me, but it's definitely an occasion smoke. Absolutely. It's definitely one I will come back to, for sure. Yeah, very good cigar. So how do they get hold of us, Trey? You can reach us via email at info at thecigarcast.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast and facebook.com slash thecigarcast. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us.